Live from the hills of Judea is the Land of Israel Fellowship with Rabbis Arya Bramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel. Shalom, my friends. Give me a wave if you can see me, if you can hear me. Good to see you. Good to see you, Brett. Sister Christophara, Callan Ardell, Betty. Shalom, everybody. It's so good to see all of you. Hi, Robin. Good to see you. <laughs> so here we are. Here we are. As always, it is great seeing your faces. I've been flipping through and uh, I just love seeing all of you and putting the faces to the names and getting to know you, even if it's only through this Zoom and email and WhatsApp, if it's still on these darn screens, it's still fun to see you and get to know you And because I'm not trying to minimize these mediums because I've gotten to know many of you here in real ways, like real conversations, real sharing particularly through prayer, because when we share our prayers, what are we doing? We're, we're opening up our souls. We're exposing our deepest dreams and our deepest desires and, and becoming vulnerable with each other. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, why I think that this is going to be such a special fellowship, because at the end of our session today, as we discussed, you're all invited to stay on and join this prayer session uh, when I say join it, you are it. We are the prayer session. And, and we're all going to pray for each other, at least the people who have sent in prayer requests. And maybe some of you will say, wow, I really want to be a part of that next time. But the prayer requests that have been sent in are very powerful. And uh, with Hashem's help, I, I'm really, I believe we're going to be able to emerge from this session empowered and uplifted and even tighter knit than we are now, because knowing the members of this fellowship as I do, I have a feeling that it's going to become a fixture, and we're going to do this quite often, and it's going to be really special. So, so as I was saying, I love seeing all of your faces, and every week, for some reason, one of the first faces that I see is that of a guy named Rick Ari. Um, Ironically, this week it wasn't the case. He didn't have his actual camera on, but he's always front and center. And maybe he stands out because he's the only person I've ever met with the last name that's my first name. Uh, but whatever the reason is, uh, Rick has made his way to the Holy Land. And this coming Wednesday, we're super excited that we're going to be able to meet him in person. He's coming out to the Arugot Farms with his family, which is, uh, which is very exciting because I see a little taste of what the future may hold in that we're, we'll be able to please God host many of you, if not all of you here at the farm. And for those of you who may be thinking, I don't have the finances or the health, or it's just not possible for me. It's never going to happen for me. To you, I say, fight Amalek, fight him. God is great. Nothing is beyond God. And I insist that we will all be able to be together in the hills of Judea. Please God, amen. As a matter of fact, this past Thursday night, Jeremy and I were up late and brainstorming and dreaming and imagining and envisioning exactly that, how we are going to take, please God, this fellowship to the next level. Because I've, I've told you before, since the very beginning, I felt that as holy and unique as it is right now, it's destined to evolve to something bigger and greater than it is now. I don't think it's going to replace what we're doing now but it will be inclusive of it. And there will be so much more. And in my heart, I can't shake the idea that wherever it goes, our mountain out here on the Judean frontier will be a fundamental part of it. Um, you know, every, every week that goes by out here, it, it becomes more potent and more powerful. And I find myself just incredulous 
that I actually live out here, that this beacon of light and inspiration and holiness, that I had something to do with it, and that I get to fall asleep and wake up in the heart of it. But it should be noted, if I'm going to be fair and give credit where it's due, that when it comes to the farm, if it wasn't for Jeremy, I wouldn't be out here because he was the first one out of the two of us. Uh, and he, he stepped foot on the farm. And I'll never forget when he came to me, he said, Ari, get in the car, get in the car right now. I'm taking you to a place unlike anything you've ever seen. And so therefore, speaking of Jeremy, it's my great honor to introduce him, which is what I need to do right now. Because as all of you know, a student doesn't speak before his Rebbe. And, uh, and I do indeed have many things that I want to discuss with you today. So I will delay no further, and I will introduce my beloved friend and Rebbe, Jeremy Gimpel. Hey, fellowship. It is just so good to be back on the farm, to be back in the land of Israel. I feel like I'm just receiving more and more light, more and more strength. We're getting back into a routine here. And, you know, I'm preparing for the new year. And I've been thinking over and over again, just our last session about setting our goals and then really thinking about our life and the categories that we want to make for ourselves this upcoming year. And I was thinking, you know, what is the next step? And just a beautiful spice cart falls into my life. And her name is Tehila Gimpel. And she tells me this amazing story. In 1911 and 1912, the great race to the South Pole happened. Two teams, one from Britain and one from Norway, went out to be the first humans to conquer the South Pole and be the first people to reach the bottom of the planet. And one team made it, the Norwegians, they were first. And one team on the whole trek, the British sadly perished on the way. But we have their journals and we have all of their writings because they were found. And in perfect timing, this Torah portion we're reading, when you go out to war against your enemy. Now, obviously, that's not only talking about external enemies like the Taliban in Afghanistan. That's also talking about our internal enemies, the challenges and the obstacles that we have in our own life. And here we have this amazing story that just fell on my lap that I wanted to share with you. Why did one team succeed and one team fail? They had two totally different strategies of how to win the war, how to go out and achieve what their mission was. So the British team, they went out and they brought horses. And when the weather was good, they trekked far. And when the weather was bad, they hunkered down and they moved and they went and they got and they got up and down, just no consistency. When it was good, they went. When it was bad, they stopped. The Norwegian team, they went out with dogs and they went out with a totally different strategy. Their strategy was every day they're going to move 15 kilometers. Now, what's amazing is that I've been researching this story, and Tehila is the one that really brought this idea to light because most of the stories that I've read up don't even talk about this strategy. But to me, the strategy is the greatest lesson of this story. Every day, the Norwegians went 15 kilometers. When the weather was good, 15 kilometers. Ah, 15 kilometers, that's not so much for a day. They could have gone much more. But they said, no. 15 kilometers, we're going to set up camp, we're going to rest, we're going to rejuvenate. Next day, 15 kilometers. When the weather's good, they have 15 kilometers. When the weather's bad, 15 kilometers. Just consistently moving forward, slowly, at a good pace. 
And by the time they reached the South Pole and they came all the way back, they said it really wasn't even that hard for them. Where the British team, they went on a crash diet and they went as fast as they could when the weather was good. And when the weather was bad, they hunkered down and they didn't move at all. There was no consistency, there was no routine, and on the way back, they perished. And what a lesson for us right now, because all of us are in this process of really trying to start the new year with a powerful trajectory to really set our sights on Zion. And when we do that, we get at Siyun. We get a grade. How close are we to our ultimate good that we could really be in the world? How could our marriage be? How could our children be? How could our lives be? How can our health be? And, you know, once you set a mark, then you have a grade of where you're standing with that mark. So the natural tendency is to go on a crash diet, to learn 15 pages a day of Gemara, to go and set impossible goals that you know maybe you could achieve for a month, but then you're going to fall out and the mission will not be accomplished. But here we have the amazing wisdom of the Torah. The first lamb, bring it in the morning. And the second lamb, bring it in the evening. You don't need to bring a thousand rams like King David bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. No, that's for a major celebration. But every day, consistency. One lamb in the morning, one lamb in the evening. It's not too big, it's not too much, but it's one step forward, one step closer. How do we set up that mark of where we're trying to achieve? How do we go out to war? Because it's a war, it's a battle. We have to really like get strong to make sure that we're disciplined. If we want to get up early in the morning, we got to put on that alarm clock and like wake ourselves up. If we want to start exercising, put those earphones in and go out on a walk or go out on a jog. It's a little bit of a war because our spirit has to overcome, has to has to win the battle over our body. And how do we do that? 15 kilometers a day, slowly, consistently, every day, a little bit more every day a little bit more when it's easy and you feel inspired 15 kilometers when it's not easy and you're not inspired 15 kilometers when the Sun is shining 15 kilometers when it's raining a little bit 15 kilometers that's the way the Norwegians made it all the way to the South Pole and they made it all the way back and they said in their journals that they didn't even feel like it was such a big challenge the journal though of the British team the crash diets and the extreme running and going and stopping and no consistency. This was impossible. They perished on the way, so sad. But that is a lesson for us. The temple service is a physical manifestation of an internal teaching, an internal process. And it's dramatizing on the outside what's supposed to be happening on the inside. And how do we develop a rich inner world? How do we get it strong? How do we build the temple structure on the outside in order for God's presence to dwell on the inside? One lamb in the morning, one lamb in the evening. Slowly but consistently, just taking a few steps forward in the right direction, on the path, as we're keeping the halakha, as we're walking in the light towards our Zion. That's the way to do it. Don't get overwhelmed. Don't try to crash diet. Don't try to read three books a week. No, just slowly choose a book, read a little bit every day, slowly but surely become stronger and stronger. And that is the way. How do we go out to war against our enemies? One lamb at a time. And so you should all be blessed. I'm really looking forward to next week. 
because next week we're going to open up a whole new map, a new way of seeing ourselves, a new way of working on our inner worlds, and that'll be a wonderful process right before the new year. So thank you all very much, and I thank you for all of the blessings and welcome you back to the land. It, um, it's funny because when I'm outside of Israel, I miss Israel. And now that I'm back in Israel, I miss seeing all of you that I saw outside of Israel. So it's like, I guess I'm just going to be in a constant state of yearning, of arugot, of la'arog. I'm constantly yearning to be close to those that I love. So I love the land. I want to be back in the land. I love the fellowship outside of the land. I want to be close to them. One day, we're going to bring it all together. The fellowship and the land all together in the mountains of Judea. That's, that's my Zion. That's the dream. So slowly but surely, we'll be working on that as well. All right, shalom. Jeremy, that was beautiful, indeed beautiful. And I, I feel like you may have just sabotaged my self-sabotage because that's my thing that I do. I aim super duper high, unrealistically high, and then I mess it up and then say, forget the whole thing. And then I'm eating Ben and Jerry's late at night because I'm a Zionist. And that's what Zionists do, if you remember like four sessions ago. But either way, if you're saying what I think you're saying, Jeremy, uh, then I'm in. We need to take a trek to the South Pole together. Let's make it happen. Me, Shana, Dvash, you, Tehillah, the kids, let's go to the South Pole. Um, either way, uh, you know, I was thinking about what Jeremy said, and I was like, you know what, if I were to just do my 15 kilometers a day, because I have a lot of things that I'm really trying to do to take upon myself to return to God physically and spiritually. But if I were to just choose one, and this is exposing myself a little bit, but the truth is, I think the one thing that I would choose, my Keva Sechad Taseba Boker, it would be to disconnect and shut off my phone past seven at night. Seven at night, I shut it off. And I'll tell you why it is, because that's when I have found that my brain just shuts off. And I need podcasts or shiurim, you know, Torah classes. It's not like I'm doing bad things with it. But while I'm doing other things, I'm listening because my brain needs that input. But it's that exactly that input that's preventing me from sitting and thinking and reflecting on what I really need to do in my life to come close to God. So I'm putting it out there to all of you that this coming week, I'm not saying I'm going to do it until the end of Elul for the rest of my life, but this coming week until our next fellowship, 7 p.m. phone on airplane mode. That's it. Unless Shana needs me for something. Oh, of course, the unlesses, they're beginning. Either way, that's, that's what I'm taking upon myself. So, um, and I would love to hear what you're taking upon yourself too, if you are. I don't know how this Elul is going for you. But as I was preparing uh, this fellowship and I was reading the Torah portion, it struck me how deeply tied into the Torah portion is the concept of tshuva right, is repentance of return. But then as I was really reflecting on it, I realized that I really think that no matter what the Torah portion was, I would be saying that. Because really the entire Torah at the very deepest level, that's what the Torah is, right? The Torah is a living teaching on how to come close to God, on how to return to Hashem. That's why it's called an Eitz Hachaim, a tree of life. Now, this is in Mishle, in Proverbs. It says, It's a tree of life for those that take hold of it. Uh, and those that grasp it are happy. I'm not going to tell you the whole, the whole verse because the, the relevant part, I, I always understood this to mean 
that in the Garden of Eden, as we all know, we were not supposed to eat from the Eitz Hada'at, right? From the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We were supposed to eat from the Eitz Hachayim, the tree of life. But the fruit of that tree was given to us in the form of the Torah. Once we were expelled from the garden, that the fruit of that tree is the Torah. And by cleaving to the Torah, to the word of the living God, that is our way back into the garden. By the way, I'm not sure that what I'm saying is true. I'm just telling you my, my experience and my feeling that I've had about it for such a long time. And, and that's why I think that the, this week's Torah portion is Ki Teitzei which falls out during these days of return of tshuva when the king is in the field because the Torah portion of this week is packed with so much wealth and goodness and depth and meaning. I'm not kidding. We could easily spend the entire fellowship just on the first verse of the portion, which we're sort of, I think, going to do, let alone the 74 mitzvot. 74, right? In the email, I told you that's the amount of commandments, 74 commandments in the Torah portion. That is more than any other Torah portion in the entire Torah. And you know, there's something about it. When, when I think sometimes about the infinite quantity of divine wisdom, it really used to get to me. It used to intimidate me. I remember that my friend Mordechai once showed me a massive volume. It was like an, like an encyclopedia, the width of like three encyclopedias put together. And it was called the Tikkun Zohar on Sefer Bereshit. The Tikkunei Zohar, and it, the whole volume was just on the word Bereshit. Bereshit in the beginning, the whole volume was just on that word. Not on the, on the Torah book or the portion, but just that word. That's right, the first word of the Torah. And I remember feeling like demoralized when I saw it, and I was thinking that I could spend my entire life in solitary confinement which sometimes sounds intimidating and sometimes sounds a little bit like a fantasy, but I know it's not. But I could study the Torah 16 hours a day and not even scratch the surface of what there is to learn. And I remember thinking, why even try? And I had that conversation with Mordechai, and he really shared with me like a, a liberating epiphany, that the goal is not to, to learn it all or to finish it all, or to even have the goal of finishing it all because you're just going to be disappointed. The goal is to be immersed in it. And if I spend my entire life studying the first verse of the Torah, not only studying it, but living it and applying it, well, that could be a, a life very well lived. And I share this with you because I believe that the realization I had that he shared with me, that this world is not about the destination, but the journey, well, that's a fundamental part of the tshuva process. Actually, my, my wife bought me a book written by a beloved friend and rabbi of mine. His name is Rabbi Judah Michel, and it's called Baderech, On the Way, On the Journey. And that was, that's a big part of the book, but it's just been like, like marmalade on my neshama, on my soul. It's just been so special. We should really somehow try to get a way to get you guys this book. It was so good. But, um, but it's about the journey back to the garden. For the, the sages share with us a teaching about the tree in the garden, that it's a, it's a precious and dear teaching to me uh, because it's such a part of the way I see the world. And I've, I've shared it on the fellowship before, and I'll probably share it again, because it's so fundamental to living a life of walking with Hashem. And what's the teaching? So the sages say that the bark of the tree in the Garden of Eden 
had exactly the same taste as the fruit of the tree. That it's only after our expulsion from the garden that the bark became a tasteless, inedible means to the end. And what is the end? The end is the fruit. And the means is the bark and the branches and the rest of the tree. But living our lives with Mashiach eyes, with eyes of redemption, we realize that the truth is that the journey is the destination. That the bark of the tree and the fruit of the tree really have the same taste. And that if we live that way, we can really live like in the garden. We can live in the times of redemption. We realize that the two, the journey and the destination, are really one and the same. I don't know if that made any sense to you. If it didn't, let me know. Send me a message. I'll try to elaborate on it further. But that being said, I opened up to the first verses of this week's Torah portion, and it talked about going to war and seeing a woman in captivity. And if the soldier desires her, then he brings her into his house, and she shaves her head, and she grows her nails. And then only after that, then he can marry her. And so when I read that, it was clear to me that I would start the fellowship by claiming that those two verses perfectly describe how my wife Shana and I met. <laughs> but I'm not going to say that because Shana said it would be inappropriate. So I'm not going to start that way. But, I, but um, it's a family tradition. I had to say it because I remember clearly that when this year Torah portion arrived every year, my father would explain to my sisters and I exactly that that's how he met my mother. So, uh, so what can you do? It's hard to fight genetics. We have this, Abramowitz men have a historic weakness at resisting a funny line. If there's even a chance for a laugh, doesn't matter what the downside is. So I hope you thought that was sort of funny. But anyways, these verses, really the description of what the soldier has to do and bringing her back and she's weeping over her family, it can be really, it's like shocking, it's confusing. But, um, but I'll tell you, seeing the horrors of the Taliban right now, the systematic rape in which every family with a girl over the age of 12, I don't know if you heard this, needs to tie a cloth to their door so the Taliban can come and take their daughter from their house to have as a wife or a, a sex slave or whatever the difference is between the two. I'm sorry if I'm getting graphic, but it's just important that we really know the evil that we're facing right now in the world. And, um, and if they don't do that, she'll just be murdered. I know it's like, it's a lot to discuss here, but it's the reality of our world. And this isn't just the Taliban. War and rape have always been intertwined until this very day. And the Torah says to the nation of Israel, not you, not you, not my holy nation. I understand that you're human beings and that war like arouses this deep base desires, even yours, you're a human being. But if you desire such a thing, this is the only way to do it. And you'll have to marry her. And while it may sound barbaric to modern sensibilities, in truth, it's, it's, the, it's created the most humane of any nation. As a matter of fact, I remember that there was a time when I was in the army and there were these articles coming out in international newspapers saying that this study that the Israeli army has exponentially far, far less rape than any other army in the history of the world, right, or at least in modern times but I'm sure it's true for the history of the world. And this article was said that this unparalleled lack of rape by IDF soldiers was proof in itself that the soldiers are racist because the only reason they wouldn't do such a thing is because they see Arabs as inferior. I mean, it, it would be funny if it weren't true. Only Jews could get condemned for not doing such an evil act. But let's take a step back and focus on the very first verse. 
Right? And that's how it starts. When you go out to war against your enemies and Hashem, your God, will deliver them into your hands and you will capture its captivity. All right, so we understand that the Torah is talking about going to war. But this is another situation where the English translation simply doesn't do it justice. You just miss a, a, an important nuance that, that's really not such a nuance. In the translation, it's defined as when you go out to war against your enemies. But uh, in the Hebrew, it doesn't say, which would be translated as going out to war against your enemies, but it says, which I guess you could translate as saying, when you go to war above your enemies or on top of your enemies, because while it's true that on the simplest level, this is to be understood that the nation of Israel is going to war against their enemies, meaning the nations that are seeking to destroy us, which there always, always have been throughout history. Not one generation has there not been. But, uh, but we, knew the, we know that the words of the Torah are always true, and they always apply to us wherever we are in time or space. And so the overwhelming majority of rabbis and sages spend the lion's share of their focus on this, on this uh, verse, on this part of the verse, that focusing on the deeper enemy that we're going to war against, that we're always going to war against. And who is that? That's right. It's our Yetzer Hara. It's our evil inclination. The evil inclination that is the venom of the snake from the Garden of Eden, whose, whose trickery, whose sinister trickery in, was through his bite infused within us. The negativity, the evil inclination was on the outside of us. But when we ate from that tree, it became a part of us. And so if we're going to have any chance at defeating this, this age-old nemesis of ours, this, this evil inclination, it can only be done me'al. From above, from a heavenly spiritual perspective by turning to Hashem, because without Hashem's help, we really don't have any chance. As a matter of fact, the Orachayim, he explains that the war that the first verse of our portion is talking about, it's to be understood as a description of man's life on earth. That our entire life can be seen as one long, drawn out, protracted war against the evil inclination, a war that begins when we enter the world and only stops when we leave the world. And Rabbi Weiss and Rav Nassim Weiss goes on to say that when you go out to war, those words of the portion, when you go out to war, it's just a different way of saying when you are born. How powerful is that? Let that sink in for a minute. The minute we are born, that war begins. And so if that penultimate internal enemy who we go out to war against from the first day of our lives is the Yetzer Hara, that evil inclination within us, then what is the external manifestation of that ultimate enemy? So many of you could probably say it with me, particularly if you've been with us from the beginning. That's right, Amalek. We started off by saying Amalek, and Amalek is just you know, because there's the Ammonites and the Hittites and the Moabites, but there's something about Amalek that is simply deeper, mystical, transcendent, that is different than all other enemies. The Torah treats it differently than all other enemies. After all, the Egyptians had genocide against us. But what does the Torah say? Don't hold a grudge against the Egyptians because you were a stranger in their land. The Amalekites didn't do nearly that much damage to us at all. 
There's something about them that's different. And so the week's Torah portion brings them up and it really cuts into the narrative of all these commandments that are being taught. And it ends the entire portion by evoking the name of Amalek in the very last verses of the portion. So as we all know, the conclusion of something is often the summation of the central ideas. And I think that's why the Parsha ends with Amalek. This is how the portion ends. Remember what Amalek did to you, by the way, when you came forth out of Egypt, how he met you, by the way, and struck you at your rear, all who were feeble behind you when you were faint and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around in the land which the Lord your God gives you an inheritance to possess, that you shall blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under the heaven. You shall not forget. That's powerful. You know, we've spoken about Amalek so many times throughout this fellowship. I remember in the past, we discussed how they're an external manifestation, this sort of outside gauge of the spiritual health, health of the Jewish people. We discussed how the Torah tells us that Amalek, right, attacked the weak, the stragglers from behind us, and how we would have only allowed our weak to be straggling behind us if we bought into the whole Amalek idea, if we were afraid of Amalek, if we believed that the key to our survival was our speed or our strength, and that they had some sort of independent power and they threatened us. But if we understood that the keys to our strength and our faith is in Hashem and in our love for each other, if we didn't buy into the whole Amalek idea, if we saw right through it, then even if Amalek is chasing us and attacking us, if we go as slow as we need to go, to make sure that our weakest and most vulnerable are amongst us, that they're loved and protected, then it doesn't matter how slow we are. We would not be vulnerable to their attack. We're only vulnerable when we allowed the weak to become stragglers in the first place. We're only vulnerable because we believed in the illusions of this world, that the strength uh, is in weapons and in numbers and in might, and not as we know in our faith in Hashem. And that's why on some level, all of the commandments of the Torah are a commentary, or at least a different dimension of that truth. Let's take, for example, the commandment not to take interest that's in this week's Torah portion. I didn't make a slide for it, but we're not allowed to take interest, right? You can't lend money and then ask for more money back in return over time. And why is that a manifestation of Amalek? Because when we take interest, what are we essentially saying through our actions, right? Who we are speaks so much louder than what we say. So what are we doing? What are we saying when we take interest that our livelihood is in our hands and that we need to do what we need to do in order to get it, even if that means capitalizing on our brother's misfortune? One of the words for interest is neshech, which comes from the word uh, biting, because that's what taking interest is. It's taking a biting, a bite out of our brother's livelihood, making our living at his expense. And making a living by taking interest is also just not spiritually healthy for the same exact reason, because it gives the illusion that somehow we have our sustenance secured. We have this fixed monthly income and we could put our guard down a little bit. We feel some stability. We don't have to pray quite as hard, and there have been sages of Israel that have gone to great lengths not to ever have that feeling 
of security because that's what we all try to do it. I try to do it. We all try to secure our destinies in some way, our financial destiny in specific. But that thought is an illusion and it's dangerous and it's unhealthy and it's, it's a sign that you've been attacked by Amalek in exactly that way. Uh, another example would be the commandment against having two different sets of weights. So this is in uh, chapter 25 of Deuteronomy. It's actually right before the Amalek part. You shall not have in your bag different weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house different measures, a large and a small. So what does that mean? Why would someone have different weights? It used to be that when you had, uh, you had, you walked around if you were like in commerce or maybe even just everybody did, you had like a one pound rock, let's say, and you put a pound of produce on the other side of the scale and that you knew you had one pound of produce when it was exactly balanced against the rock. But dishonest storekeepers would have a rock that was slightly lighter than the pound and therefore would sell less produce for the price of, the, of, of that pound. You just cheat a little bit. Why? To get a little bit more money. Because that storekeeper believes that there's not an eye that sees. There's not a judge that is seeing everything we do. And, and, and they believe that their parnasa, their income, is determined by their actions, by the labor of their hands. And we know it's really not. We could get ill-gotten gains, but then Hashem will find some way to take that out from us, some parking ticket, something, and uh, we're, it's really not in our hands. It's in Hashem's hands. And, and that right there, harboring that doubt that your parnasah, your, your living, anything in your life really is in your own hands is a blemish in your faith, and that is another sign of the Amalek within you. And when I say within you, I literally, there's not one word that I'm reading that I'm not thinking through the year and thinking, yes, I have fallen prey to that very thing. And I consider myself a Jew of faith. I, I talk to God all the time, but it, it's, it's just so easy. That's the, that's the war that we're fighting against. So I, I sort of want to bring it together now with the teaching from the Tiferet Shmuel. He reads about this verse in Amalek in a different way. Now let's revisit this verse, the last verse which we saw from before about Amalek. It shall be that when Hashem, your God, gives you rest from all your enemies around, in the land that Hashem, your God, gives you as an inheritance to possess it, you shall wipe out the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. You shall not forget. Now the Tiferet Shmuel says that we must erase that notion that things happen from under the heavens, right? That's such a beautiful way to read it. Erase the, Amalek, the, the name of the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. We have to erase that notion that things happen under the heavens. We must always remember every moment of our lives that everything that happens is that everything that happens is from above the heavens. And whatever is decreed above will occur below. That's what it means to wipe out the memory of Amalek, that we're wiping out doubt from the world, that we're wiping out doubt from our own hearts. And that, that, that's why there's so many commandments, because we need to be surrounded by them. We, on our garments, on our homes, in our conversations, on our bodies themselves, because this world was created 
in a very convincing and compelling way. And we need to fight the forces that are trying to convince us that everything is just a coincidence, that the perception of duality in this world is indeed the reality. And we can never forget, even for a moment, that there is a God and he runs the world. Maybe this sounds repetitive to you, but welcome to the life, to a Torah life, where you say Shema, these mantras every day, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Day in and day out, morning and night, we have to say, we have to remember. Because it's easier said than done to remember. The Torah is filled with our greatest patriarchs and matriarchs living lives of, of faith, yet forgetting, at least for some moment in their lives, the ultimate truth of Hashem. And we see the consequences of, of those. Uh, for example, I'm thinking Moses, right? When he said, Hamarimatim, he lost his temper. He said, you're rebels. Or Joseph, when he, uh, when he said to the, uh, to, the, to the baker, remember me to Pharaoh, right? We say that he was actually, his prison sentence was extended because he was putting his faith in flesh and blood. And so just for a moment, you just forget for a moment. That's what we're here for. That is the ultimate mission, to be living witnesses whose lives testify to the truth of God's oneness. And so I want to share with you this beautiful video that I filmed on the farm last week. And it's, it's of an event that could be seen, possibly, with both sets of eyes. It's hard to imagine, really, but, uh, but it's true. But if we see it with the right set of eyes, the true set of eyes, it's a testimony to the prophetic times in which we are living. And it's a testimony to the greatness of the power of tshuva, of repentance. So check this out. This world is all about the eyes through which you see it. Through one set of eyes, it's a Wednesday morning at about 10 a.m. Through an altogether different set of eyes, the moment that we're in right now is being chiseled into the fabric of Jewish history and Jewish destiny. So my dear friend, Nate Waller, who you're going to meet very soon, and a group of his friends from Hayovel are planting trees out here on the Arugot farm. Now to the naked eye, they may look like a bunch of bearded settlers. You don't really see them right now, but uh, you'll see them soon. But come even closer and you'll realize that they're a group of Christians who've come from around the world with the mission of serving Israel. And so many of them have become like family to me. Nate himself, who's right now driving that tractor, he's like a brother. And what has my brother Nate brought today? We've got oak trees, we've got pear trees. What other type of trees do we have? Matt Tanner, get over here. Syrian ash. All right, so let me ask you a question. So we have, uh, we have Nate that's working that machine over there. You're drilling into the mountain. Now, I, I, I want to explain to our, our, our friends out here that are watching this about the Groasis technology. Right, because right. it's not just uh, a tree that you're planting. You know, Israel has brought drip irrigation to the world. We have, what do we have? We have here at the Arago Farm, we have 5,000 trees, all different types, but we're on the cusp of the desert. So if we're on the cusp of the desert, how in the world do we have 5,000 trees? Well, drip irrigation, which has allowed us to bring the desert to life and bring green to the whole desert and to the whole world. Africa, uh, lands that were arid and parched, 
now have sustenance for people around the world. But this is even cooler in some ways. So can you explain about this technology? Let's step over here. There's some yeah, totally. So it's a box that you just put around the tree. Um, it gathers condensation. It gathers dew from the air. Um, it inside, like beneath the ground. So it's ground temperature inside the box. And then the temperature difference in between the ground and the air produces condensation, which gathers that condensation and puts it onto the tree. So bottom line is you're able to put water into this thing. And how, how long can you walk away for without watering it again? Um, you leave it for a year and then you come back and take the boxes off. They'll still be full, but you take the boxes off and then the tree goes from there. So by a year, it should have its roots deep enough to sustain itself. But what in the world has motivated you to fly around the world and dedicate your lives to doing this? Tell me about it. Because the Bible doesn't have anything talking about farming in America. It's all about Israel. It's about the restoration here. It's about seeing the land uh, come back to life. And so that's what... So here we are with my friend and my brother, Nate Waller, who has brought this team out here that you've seen planting these trees and this new Growasis technology. We had uh, Mac Tanner explain it a little bit, but in layman's terms, really quick, without going into all the details, tell me what's really happening here. What's really happening is we're, uh, we're restoring the heartland of Israel. That's really what's happening. Bottom line, the heartland is turning into the Garden of Eden. Okay, so tell me a little bit about your personal, not necessarily Hayovel or the greater, your personal motivation here in waking up at 5.30 a.m. every morning, uh, training your sister over there. That's right. Your sister? Yep. Uh, you know, for me, it, uh, it's really ideological. That's really the bottom. It's everything I believe is, is, is happening right here in the heartland of Israel. And that's why I'm here, and that's why I do it. You know, it's, it's about seeing the Word of God that I believe is the Word of God happening right in front of my eyes and that's that's the bottom line and that's why I get up at 5 30 in the morning tell you the truth I'm not a morning person I'm a late night guy I can stay up late and uh, but to get up at 5 30 in the morning to go plant trees to see the land of Israel restored that's uh, and to see the words that the uh, the things that the prophets saw actually happening in our day is I'll tell you when I when I'm looking at this right now I was just thinking about the the desert blossoming right right and we just know those words and I always sort of read it as some sort of miraculous thing happening yeah. you know like we would come back and all of a sudden exactly. before our eyes there would be like a time capture uh, you know of like the desert just turning green yeah. and now that I'm watching this I'm realizing it's not some sort of abstract right. miraculous thing it's actually happening with this little skidster with these holy people non-jews Christians that are coming here and it's been uh, you know there's been a lot of uh, a lot of pushback a lot of challenges you guys have faced doing this right not near as many as you you know over the years you've seen a lot of pushback uh, and it's the least we can do you know I, I say that the nations are actually the ones that destroyed it so the nations need to take responsibility and come back and restore it and uh, we actually did the physical labor of cutting down the trees and destroying the trees and destroying the, the the Garden of Eden that was here maybe there was other reasons for it that God had but we actually did the work so we need to do the work to bring it back. Well, what strikes me right now is we're in the month of Elul, yeah. and this is a month of repentance, right. right? And to hear you say, we, knowing that you're 28 years old, you yourself didn't do it, but you're saying we, and you're owning so much of the horror and destruction that's happened uh, to the Jewish people throughout history. Uh, is that a, a form of repentance for you? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, repentance is, uh, is turning around and going the opposite direction. You know, and I think that's that's really what, what our heart is, is to do the exactly opposite of what the nations have done for 2,000 years. You know, the prophets talk about the nations. There's a lot of negative prophecies about the nations. 
but there's also positive. The nations are going to come and serve and, and bless and help, and that's what we want to do. So what is the primary prophecy in your mind that you're, coming, you're fulfilling right now? Oh, uh, primary prophecy. You know, a huge one, Ezekiel 36. That's like my theme chapter right there where it says, speaks in the mountains, shoot forth their branches for our children are soon coming home. The mountains are, I mean, you look around here, there ain't many people living out here. Not many Jews and not many Arabs either. There's not many people living right here. And so, and they're barren. So the mountains need to shoot for their branches because their children are coming home. That is so beautiful, Nate Waller. Yeah. And, uh, and you know what? The, uh, for me, one of the ones that really stands out is Zechariah chapter 2. Right, it says, goyim rabim al and, the, and the righteous of the nations will attach themselves to the house of Israel on that day. La'am, and they will be for me like a nation. And to me, it doesn't feel like you're uh, some Christian in Tennessee. It feels like you're my brother. And, and indeed you are. Yes, absolutely. I, I, feel, I feel like we're brothers uh, in this. And I feel like we got, both have a role. You know, we both got to do it. You know, just like in a family. Each brother, you know, does different things in the family. And that's, that's the same, same here. is that right it's uh first of all caleb waller i think you're still here with us right now where were you i don't know if you know caleb he's part of the fellowship he's here with us every week and uh and we miss you we miss you here in israel brother i know you're on your journey over there and you're collecting whatever sparks you're collecting but on a selfish front i hope your journey leads you back here soon and not only caleb but all of you because, you know, just I was watching that video with you and hearing the shofar that was blown when I blew that shofar, really the reason that I blew that shofar, I wasn't aware, I wasn't conscious of it. I just didn't, uh, wasn't able to do it in my prayers that morning. So I thought I would do it. I had to run out to greet the group. So I thought I would just bring it with them. But then as I'm watching it, I'm like, wow, I'm actually blowing the shofar as the nations of the world are in Judea and planting trees and making the deserts blossom, as the words of the prophet said, declaring the shofar, that was God's, that was God's desire, even if I didn't know that I was doing that. And so, uh, so having all of you out here is, is, is really a, a deep desire that I think that we have and that Hashem has. Um, I mean, how much do you want to just come to the farm and see those holy trees? I go them, I look at them, and there's these little tiny little saplings in this little contraption, and I just bless them, and I just am so eager. I, it's one of the uh, motivations I have, other than really Dvash and, and Shana and God, to like take really good care of myself so I can see these trees grow, the trees that we planted at the farm. Um, I'll tell you, the more time that goes on, those brief moments where the light of redemption is shining on our mountain in Judea and in the whole land of Israel, but I could just speak about our mountain on a personal level. Those brief moments are getting longer and more frequent and they're becoming more palpable. They're becoming more real. When you're out here, you can't help but just to feel the power of redemption unfolding. 
And, uh, and the words of the prophet Isaiah that he proclaimed in this week's Torah portion, Haftorah, right? The Haftorah portion is the portion that the prophets read. As I was reading through them, and it was just such a comfort in declaring God's love for the nation of Israel and what would happen in Israel during messianic times that are coming to shape, to, to, to life before our eyes. So uh, I wanted to play this video for you. Before I give you the blessing and we launch into our prayer session together, don't forget to hang on for that, okay? Because we're going to have a prayer session together that's really special for those of you that can be a part of it. I wanted to play this beautiful music that was created by our dear friend Shlomo Katz, in which he takes verse 50, chapter 54, verse 10 from the book of Isaiah in this week's Haftorah portion, and he breathes life into it in a way that only he can.
How beautiful was that? All right, an everlasting love. I have loved, I have drawn you with my love. The mountains will crumble and the hillsides will fade away, but my love for you will not end. You know, I, for some reason, it just touched me. I needed exactly that because I found that I was getting wound up in this whole tshuva thing and this whole repentance thing. And I was getting wound up. Am I failing? Am I not failing? Am I doing it right? Am I wasting time? Like the, the old normal way of thinking of things was just falling back into my brain. I was falling back into it. And then when I read that verse and I heard Shlomo sing it, it, um, it was just like, you know, even if we mess up, by our own judgment, of course, it, it doesn't really matter, right? Hashem loves us. Even if we totally mess up and we don't try as hard as we could, we wanted to try as hard as we could. Hashem loves us and he's, yes, he's the judge. That's true. But he's also our father, right? There's a little secret. Our father is the judge and he loves us no matter what. And so that just sort of, I was able to just take a breath, you know, and say, okay, okay, that's just something I needed right now. And, and, um, and so let's, let us turn to our father for each other because we're family. And when we petition for ourselves, that's one thing, but we, when we petition for each other, that's even more beautiful. And I think it gives our father even more joy. You know, my whole family came together this Shabbat and it was a little bit of a dysfunctional Shabbat. That's the truth. I mean, it happened every now and then. We have a great thing going as a family, but every now and then we revert in a big way. And, you know, I could be 41, but my sister becomes 13 and I'm 11. My little sister is three. And it, it happens. It's crazy how it happens that way. And I just saw the look in my father's eyes when we were all sort of bickering and fighting. And he was just so pained. And when is he so happy? When he sees that we need each other and we're there for each other. I know that. He always tells us that. That he feels like that's when he can leave the world, when he sees that we have each other's back and we love each other. That's all he wants. And I think that's what our Father wants also. So, um, so I want to do this prayer session together. But before we start, in case there's someone that can't stay on for whatever reason during this time, I want to take this opportunity to pray for all of you, to bless all of you with the holy words of Aaron the high priest of Israel. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ya'er Adonai panav elecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai panav elecha Vesem lecha shalom. 
May Hashem bless and protect you. May he shine his face towards you and be gracious to you. May he shine his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Okay, so here's where we usually go to a song and say goodbye, but here's where we're going to, to sort of pick up the, the prayer requests and, and pray for each other. And then, again, we haven't done this before, so I want to hear your feedback and how we could do it better. I was thinking it was going to be a little bit like an amen party. Have you ever heard what an amen party is? So you know what the word amen means. Amen, it comes from the word emuna, which is translated often as faith. But, um, but I was actually thinking this, this last uh, Shabbat, over Shabbat, that really the best translation of emuna is not faith, but it's faithfulness to a knowledge, right? Faithfulness to a truth. To remain faithful to what you know is the truth that Hashem wants of you, even when the mood has passed in which you determined you were going to do it. Anyways, so we say amen when someone makes a blessing or blesses each other, and then everyone says amen, and they say, I too believe in this. I, that speaks for my heart. So something that predominantly women do in Israel is that they come together and have an amen party. And what does that mean? That they go around in a circle and everyone makes, a, they either bless each other or they make a blessing on a, a brownie or a piece of fruit or whatever it is. And everyone says together, amen. And I've heard that it becomes, my wife tells me that it's just, for some reason, people in the end of there are just in tears. And we're they're all saying amen for each other and strengthening each other. And this one needs children and this one needs help and this one, and they're all playing, praying for each other. So I thought it would be an amen party, but then I was thinking maybe, we sh I should pr like present the prayer request and then we could have a moment and we all pray together. You know, each of us on our own, we can pray and then we can say amen to that. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But either way, let's start here at no specific order. I just started randomly taking it. So this is from one of our members, Joanne Meeks. Um, I met her many years ago. She came out to the farm and I've always been a little bit pained because she came out and I wasn't ready for her and we didn't get to spend the time with her that I felt like she deserved. But she was so gracious and so sweet and she's kept in touch for all of these years and all of this time. I'm looking for her. I don't see you here, Joanne, but I'm not going to, I can't do that every time. So anyways, she said that she just got word that her 11-month-old great-grandson has COVID and her older son who has chronic respiratory issues and his wife, they were exposed as well. So apparently the virus is rampant on this Cherokee reservation in North Carolina that they live in. So let's pray for, for her, that may her son and her daughter and her grandson and her great-grandchildren, her whole family, the entire reservation, may they be protected and healed. Amen. Is this a good way to do it? Okay, I'm watching you, Ardell. You're saying yes. Brett is saying yes. Okay, so that's what we're going to try to move forward. Okay, and this is actually, speaking of Cal and Ardell, this is from you. Um, and I know that you sent numerous ones. I hope I didn't mess them up. But the, the first prayer is for their grandson, Jackson, J-A-X-O-N, who I actually pray for often and think of often. You can't always know what's going to get just lodged in your head and in your consciousness. And he is, he's there for me. And uh, clearly Hashem has a special purpose and mission for Jackson. 
um, as he's just a teenager, sweet, loving, holy teenager, and he became paralyzed in a diving accident. And as you can imagine, that's taking a toll on him, not only physically, but also spiritually and emotionally. And, um, and Ardell explained that he has uh, some closed doors regarding therapies and because of insurance. And it's been one year since his accident that put him in the wheelchair. Here's actually a picture. Let's see if we can put that picture up. Are you there, Tabitha? You got it? Anyways, maybe you should be able to put that picture up soon. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there are some things that would make it easier for him. Oh, there he is, that, uh, that to improve. One is to be able to transfer himself from his bed to his wheelchair. Another is for him to be able to, to, to provide his own calf. He needs stronger triceps, Ardell explained for this. And she told me, by the way, that he is reading the Bible every day, which is already showing how extraordinary he is, because most kids his age would be like, well, you know what? If this is what God did to me, there is no God, but he's reading the book of Isaiah every day. Just for that alone, may he be given a miraculous, miraculous recovery. So let's pray for him together. Hashem, nothing is beyond you. Please shine a very powerful light into the heart of young Jackson. Allow him to, to see and understand why you've chosen him for this mission and how you want him to bring your light into the world. And Hashem, if it's your will, and may it be your will, please give him a miraculous healing in which he not only has strong muscles, but he's able to regain full movement and full strength and be a testimony to the world of your goodness and the miracles that you can bring into the world. Let's take one moment to pray each of us for our, on our own for him. Please heal Jackson, Hashem. Amen. And, uh, and Cal and they also shared, on behalf of someone else in the fellowship, her name is Karen Solan, and uh, she, uh, Ardell told me that Karen and Yitzhak live in Susanville, California, and, uh, and they're in the possible path of the fires that have been uncontrollable for 39 days now. Three homes of friends have been destroyed, and as of Friday, over 700,000 acres have already been burned. So the prayer request is that is not only for all the people in the path of this fire to be saved, um, but, but really everybody. It, to complicate this further, by the way, Karen has asthma and has difficulty breathing in this smoke-filled environment. So on Friday, she has a medical procedure that would require her to be put under, and she's trying to recover. They're home, right now they're home, but they could be forced to leave in a moment if the winds change, and many of the roads around them are blocked. Here's a picture that Ardell sent me of the fires in the area. So may Karen and Yitzhak be protected along with everybody else in the way of this deadly fire. May Hashem spread his wings of protection over them. May Hashem bring peace and harmony to their family and provide them with serenity and joy. Amen. If each of you want to just take one moment to make your own prayer for them.
I've also been notified by our beloved Tabitha, without whom this fellowship would never happen, and Jeremy and I would barely be able to function. She told me also about the severe, deadly flooding in Tennessee. Um, here's a picture of, of what's going on there, and we have a, a number of, of members in our fellowship from Tennessee. Tabitha, if you could double-click on those photos and make them take up the whole picture, the whole screen, that'd be great if possible, if you can. Anyways, Hashem, please protect our beloved fellowship members in Tennessee, protect their lives and protect their possessions and rescue them. They're, they're so righteous and they're so beloved. Please protect them and rescue them and all of their possessions and the people of Tennessee. Oi, the fires and floods. It's, uh, you know, Hashem is shaking the world up. He, uh, he's blowing the shofar. We should have the eyes to see it and to hear it, which brings me to Catherine. So um, we're praying to the peace and protection of her beautiful children and grandchildren, including the brand new Noah Daniel, delivered August 4th. Um, so we're praying for him and for her whole family, particularly her son-in-law, Jeff, who is a first responder, a paramedic. And he'll be going out on a strike team soon to help that very same California fire. So we're now praying not only for those in the way of the fire, but those fighting the fire. So Hashem, he is going out to war. Bless his hands with success. Allow him to help extinguish this destructive and dangerous fire. And uh, allow him and everyone else to emerge physically unscathed from this nightmare, but with a deeper reverence to the sheer strength of your power and of your hand. Amen. And uh, by the way, on this subject, I think we could uh, pray for the victims of the devastating forest fire in Jerusalem, who so many of you have sent us, um, Shana and I, your, your blessings uh, for us and your prayers for us. You know, it's not near us, but, you know, Israel is a small place and we're in Judea and Jerusalem's in Judea. And we actually had the smoke and the smell of the fire near our home, in our home. Shana smelt it. I didn't. But thank God, Baruch Hashem, as devastating and historic as it was, no one was killed. But there was terrible, terrible damage, not only on physical front, but emotional fronts, a lot of trauma including uh, our very dear friends who I've known for years, who are Shoshana and Micha Harari. Do any of you know them? So they've been creating these biblical harps in Israel. The first people who have done it, Shoshana is just gifted. She reminds me of Betzalel, you know, who was just given the spirit of God in the creation of the tabernacle. So she is with these biblical harps, including she made one for the third temple. May it be built soon. And she had their entire factory, their entire life's work go up in flames. And they weren't able to have insurance because of where it was. So it was a totally devastating loss. And this is, of course, you know, not to eclipse our gratitude that their lives were saved and so many other lives were saved, often miraculously. But we still need to keep in mind that the trauma and the devastation and, and please God, those harps that went up in flames, they should be a like a sacrifice in the temple to bring the actual third temple into the world where knowledge of God will cover the earth as water covers the sea and the Levites are playing the music on the entrance to the temple with 
Shoshana's very harp. So please let them recover from their loss and have financial abundance and continue their holy work in bringing that sacred music and their sacred, beautiful instruments to Israel and to the world. Amen. For those of you that want to take your own moment and pray for them, feel free to do that now. Okay, so this prayer request was sent in by our dear friends in the fellowship who I've known for years and love dearly, Bridget and Harold. They wrote in, quote, this is what they wrote. Um, they're praying for their friend Sigrun. He had a stroke three weeks ago, which led to an accident. And he's in the ICU and he do mostly doesn't recognize anyone. He can't speak and he can't move. And they ask that we pray, the whole fellowship, that we praise for, pray for Hashem, for God to intervene. I'm sorry, his wife's name is Sigrid. I'm sorry. And uh, that God will give her strength and courage and give her husband a perfect healing and a speedy healing. So that's from Bridget and Harold. Please, Hashem, heal Julius. His, his name is Julius. Heal Julius and strengthen his wife, Sigrun, and their whole family. They're going through a very hard time now. Give him a miraculous healing, both physically and spiritually. Elna Refana Lo. May God please give him a full healing. Amen. Okay, and this is from our dear friend, Rodrigo. And I'm going to try to leave spaces at the end after I give my little blessing and say amen for each of you to say your own prayers. If I'm not leaving enough time, let me know. I'll try to make those times longer. So Rodrigo wrote in. He said, I'm a police officer in Charlotte, North Carolina. The police department is becoming very aggressive with wanting its employees to get vaccinated. So far, they haven't mandated it. However, they have already stated that the employees that are unvaccinated will be required to undergo testing weekly to maintain their employment. They're also demanding that employees provide proof whether they have or have not been vaccinated. And this proof has to be provided by the 19th, meaning already yesterday. So he said, I don't mean to get political, nor do I know where you guys stand on the issue. I think he's talking about me and Jeremy, but maybe all of us in the fellowship. And the truth is we really don't bring this up. But, um, but he said, he said here, nor do I want to impose my views on anyone. Having said that, and with the information that the research I've done, I will not be getting vaccinated. I also don't think, uh, do not think that my employer has the right to demand medical testing weekly to maintain my employment. Therefore, pretty soon I will have to make a decision and I need with some wisdom and discernment to know how to deal with the situation in a righteous and holy manner and to honor Hashem in it. That's just such a beautiful prayer request to me. That is just so, that is so clearly to me, the perfect way to approach it, to ask Hashem for wisdom, to come with a, from a place of humility and just say, whatever I do, allow it to be done in a righteous and a holy manner. I'm just so honored to be in the fellowship with all of you, with people like that, like Rodrigo. So Hashem, please grant Rodrigo and a heart of wisdom a love shomea, a listening heart, and grant him understanding in this matter. Guide him to fulfill your will with courage and conviction, 
and allow the outcome of his decision to be a revealed blessing for him and his family. Give him strength. Amen. Here's a prayer request for, uh, from our dear friend, Bianca. She wrote, I have this week a meeting with my boss at work, and I ask for prayer of wisdom in speaking with her, and also that the contract, which ends at the end of October, will be extended. Hashem, please allow Bianca to find chen, to find favor in the eyes of her boss and allow her to speak words of truth and provide for her needs, her financial needs and her physical needs and her spiritual needs. And uh, this is from our friend Vani, Vani with a V. She wrote in that she's working on selling her mobile home and moving to a tiny house in Missouri. And she wanted us to pray for her that everything come together and to bless all the things that are involved in this and for protection when she moves. So please, Hashem, grant Vani success and protection for this move and allow it to be a move for her in the right direction. Allow it to provide for her serenity and time to connect with you and allow it to be good for her health physically and emotionally and for her family. Amen. And by the way, I want to say here that we're seeing prayer requests that are both, you know, existential about life and death and others, which may seem like a little bit less consequential, but there is no, there's no such thing. There's no such thing as asking for a prayer for something that's too small or too trivial. In some ways, it's even holier to pray for the smaller things. They have their, their own beauty, those prayers. And we should turn to Hashem over absolutely everything in our lives. We should invite him into everything. Not only when things are falling apart, but also when things are okay. And you just want continued blessing and protection. So this is a prayer request from Ava, who lives here in Israel in the Galilee, in the Galil. She actually missed the past few sessions of the fellowship at least the live ones, and uh, because her sister's husband died a few days ago, and she requested that we pray for the safe and continued healthy journey, and that she should be blessed uh, and be a blessing to her family and to her friends. And, and I, I, just, I just love that. I love the continued, the word continued, that she's saying that she's been blessed but she wants to continue being blessed. And she understands that that's from Hashem. You know, some people often, I feel like, you know, life goes on and things happen normally. And then all of a sudden Hashem interjects and changes things up. And some tragedy happens that Hashem made happen, but otherwise things are just normally and going normally. But when we're able to keep in our consciousness that our continued health is just as interventionally miraculous as when things go wrong, that every beat of our heart is from Hashem every breath we take is from Hashem, well, then we'll be filled with this more authentic gratitude every single day. So anyways, Hashem, please bless Ahava. Provide consolation to her sister over her painful loss, and may she and her family have physical health and uh, continue to be sources of light and blessing to all those who they, they meet and to the entire world. Amen.
Now, if you want to bless your own words. And this is a prayer for Audrey Taylor. Hashem, please guide her to where to relocate her new home, where she will be happy and healthy and blessed where you want her, where she can retire and focus on her health and on Torah study and, and heal her son, or rather heal, heal her son-in-law who has epilepsy and, uh, and, has, and help him overcome his dependencies that he may be addicted to. He's had a very difficult life and help heal him on the deepest spiritual level from those idols and those dependencies that really we all have. And bring healing to her daughter, Jocelyn, and heal their relationship, meaning her relationship with her own daughter, and heal their whole family. And give blessing to Sarah Maria and Andrea Grace and Jocelyn Ann. And lastly, fulfill her dream of coming to the Holy Land and visiting us here at the farm, which is a dream that she's had, and bless her in that way. Amen. Okay, and Hashem, please, uh, please bless our friend Lucy and Jeremy from Oregon. Heal their daughter, Hannah, and give her a complete and miraculous recovery from that which is ailing her. And heal their infant son, Theodore Isaac, which, who has been having difficulty feeding. Please allow him to eat and to be nourished and to grow. And thank you for bringing home her son, Alicia. This prayer was going to be different at the beginning of the week. We were going to pray for him to bring Alicia home. And I prayed right there when she sent me the description of what he's been going through. But he, Hashem already brought him home. And uh, he's been really immersed in a lot of darkness. And uh, Hashem, you're starting to elevate him to a place of light. So please continue to shine that light into his life and to heal him and all of them. And, uh, and on top of all of this, please help them financially and allow their finances to flow into their family with abundance. Amen. And please, Hashem, bless our friend Kathy's daughter, that she have the finances and the wisdom to find and buy the car that she needs to be able to get around and to serve you and to bring goodness into the world. I know that that's not an easy thing. We've just been going through that as well. So please, breath, bless uh, our friend Kathy's daughter. And Hashem, please give a full miraculous healing for the speedy, full recovery of the special forces sniper in the Israeli army. I don't know if you heard what happened, but it's devastating. He was shot in the head from point blank range in Gaza today and or yesterday. And now he's hospitalized in critical condition. His name is Bar-El ben Nitsa. Bar-El, the son of Nitsa. We, of course, pray for him with his name, the son of his mother, which arouses divine compassion. Heal him, Hashem, and protect the Israeli army and defense forces wherever they are in the world and shelter them under your wings of protection for they're defending your nation and your land from enemies who not only hate the nation of Israel, but they hate you, they hate the God of Israel. Give them courage and strength and faith and protect them both physically and spiritually from those seeking their harm. Hashem, please, please give a miraculous healing to Bar-El Ben-Nitzah. 
Amen. And Hashem, please protect and bless the people of Afghanistan, particularly the women of Afghanistan. Here's a picture of a woman who was murdered in the street for not wearing a burqa. She simply was not wearing a burqa. This is not modesty. This is not holiness. These are not religious men. This is wielding the sword of religion to control and rape and oppress and murder. People are living in fear. This is a picture, actually, of a woman throwing her baby to U.S. soldiers to prevent her innocent little baby from falling victim to life under Taliban control. Can you imagine such a thing? Please, Hashem, shelter the innocent and helpless from the forces of darkness, from the evil Taliban, who are murdering, murdering and terrorizing and torturing them. Please give them strength and strengthen their faith in you and protect them. Amen. And please, Hashem, please give comfort and consolation to the family of 19-year-old Shmuel Silverberg, I don't know if you heard, who was murdered outside of his yeshiva in Denver for no reason other than the fact that he's a Jew. So innocent and so holy, just murdered, shot in the chest. May he be a Melitz Yosher. May he be a holy intercessor by your great throne, advocating for the nation of Israel and for the entire world to bring redemption. Please, Hashem, there has been so much pain and so much terror and grief and death. Please, Hashem, send us Mashiach. Gift us with redemption. We don't deserve it, but please give us redemption, Hashem. Dry up all the tears. Please, Hashem, allow the time for redemption to be now. Amen. Okay, my friends, please be in touch with me. Let me know how that was for you and if we should continue doing this. It's so good to see all of you. Please send your requests in and let us keep praying for each other and holding each other up. Let us bring light from the darkness and joy from grief. Amen. Shalom. Love you all so much. To join the Land of Israel Fellowship, to attend our live interactive Zoom sessions, to participate in the Fellowship Connection Q&A events, or even just to binge on past sessions, click on the link below or go to thelandofisrael.com backslash fellowship and join our family of hundreds of people from around the world broadcasting light from the Land of Israel live from the Judean frontier.